Welcome back to the Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the Bible, Bible Bistro. Oh, I didn't know we were doing a song. Well, it's not really a song. It was more of a tag. Oh, okay. It's sting. like a, it's like a, a st- logo sting. Okay. That's technical. So the bi- Can you sing it for me? The Bible, Bible Bistro. Bistro. Okay. <laughs> There's something else that goes along with that as well. So, and this is a podcast all about the Bible theology and things pertaining to the Christian things relating <laughs> relating i finally figured out the word okay it's not pertaining the, it's not pertaining as i said repeatedly in these episodes <laughs> that is a you word which is weird because yeah. y- you have some deep words that you use but then there's some basic words that you can't draw on yeah like dumpster today i couldn't dumpster. think of the word dumpster he's like you had one of these in your drive and it was long and people picked it up and i'm like dumpster yeah that's it and then you used some yeah. other, and then we've also discussed the it, adjective know. of super. Okay, so so somebody could count the number of times I say super in this episode and send yeah. that into. Oh, us. that's super good, super good. Anyway, but it's we we had lunch together yeah, it was today. Good, it was nice. We're at uh, Bistro East. Bistro East. Yes, we ate at Yats, who we've mentioned before, yes. and we had Chipotle Chicken Alexio, which you said is like one of it's very. They don't have it that often. It's rare, but it's very good. And I, t- I will have to say, it was one of the best meals that I've had there. And you thought. Because I, when I walked in, I raised my hands and I said, Alexio, and you thought, <laughs> thought the, guy, the, guy the guy behind the counter was Alexio. I thought that was his name. You're like, Alexio. Alexio, my long lost. <laughs> no, no, it was just a food. If it was a person, anyway. I would have been like, well, that's And we've drinking some good coffee from your yeah. nice coffee maker and... Uh, Yes. Lauren helped make that. Yes. Also referred to as the waitstaff. The waitstaff. No, we had some wonderful coffee. We've had some great lunch. And now we're back in the bistro. We're going to talk about some interesting things today. A little bit of archaeology today. Yeah, you know, we like to talk about archaeology from time to time. And there's something that's in the news right now. I don't know if people have seen this or not. But interestingly enough, this is a relatively recent discovery in Jerusalem, in in an area of Jerusalem that's called the City of David. It's actually called the City of David Archaeological Park. And, and there's a, now this is a park like you scroll stroll through the said park or <laughs> no it's it's a, a place where there's lots of um, oh what would you say there's educational signs and there's lots of information about it but they, it, it's a, it's an active dig and here, I was saying this to some people the other day that you know the interesting well hard thing about Jerusalem is it's very there's lots of things we'd love to excavate there but it's very hard to do mm-hmm. because I mean number one like we have in other places it's a city where there are people who actually live there like are, utilities there are businesses and then added to that there are these three major religions that claim you know different parts of or sometimes mm-hmm. the same part of this as as special to them so you have you know islam and of course the whole temple mount is kind of off limits because of them and then um you have the the jewish people who 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 are parts of it are very special too and and they're christians like you have um you know the the different churches and and even different christian groups that claim various <laughs> yeah. parts and oh, so yeah so it makes it kind of difficult to do any kind of excavation work there. But this one area, it's called the City of David Archaeological Park because it's kind of the part that was, we think, the oldest part of Jerusalem, where Jerusalem first began. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, just just to kind of give some background, Jerusalem was on a, a mount that they mm-hmm. called, you know the name of it? Mount Zion. Mount Zion. Very good. So Thank I, you. I you tried. You tried. <laughs> you tried. So Mount Zion. And and it, it there's a valley on either side, the Kidron Valley and the Central Valley. And this really made it a defensible spot. So when mm-hmm. they built some walls there in Jerusalem, of course, David moved the capital of, of Israel at that point during David's reign. 
he moved the capital there and and it was it was a very defensible spot and and but we think that's where it began in this in this kind of tip of course city of jerusalem today is just surrounding it but this one area just down from everybody's familiar familiar with the western wall they've Mm -hmm. seen i'm sure images of this but just down in in fact part of the western wall and the southern wall of the temple uh, is where this park is and you can go there and you can see some of the excavations that are ongoing well anyway they discovered not too long ago uh, um, a cache, a whole a whole um, grouping uh, of um, ivory, these little ivory panels. Okay, uh, about about fifteen hundred of them. Uh, some so, of them, quite a few. Yeah, quite a few. Some of them are smaller, and some of them are a little bit larger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they begin to see that they had some repeated patterns to them, and they begin to look at them, and uh, they began to realize they probably were ivory that was inlaid into furniture during this period of time. And so, it's really an interesting find. Okay. Um, the, the, this part of the excavation is actually under what used to be a, a car park or a parking lot. And and so they've dug down, they found these, and they think it's a level that would have been about 2,700 years ago. Some of, yeah, I mean, well, I just, I, I think that we've talked about before, it's yeah. just like as each kind of group kind of came, they just buried. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in some ways. Well, and 2,700 years ago is a pretty important date for Jerusalem, too. Right. So, so that, um, you know, that would roughly correspond and i'll go ahead and say some of these ivories had evidence of burning on them in fact i've got i've got a picture of them here behind me on the on the screen if you're watching this on youtube and and i'll put it in in our yeah, show notes it's, well. it's part of a story from so there's some been several news um news um um places that are covering this <laughs> see <laughs> brian's got some deep words but but there's evidence of burning, and so 586 BC was a very important date. That's when when what happened? Do you remember what 586? Uh, that is um, a s- Babylonian. Babylonians Excellent. came in. The Babylonians came in and destroyed. 722 is Assyria, but then 586 BC, yes. Babylonians come in and destroy Jerusalem, um, and, and so that's probably when we think that that this dates to. Uh, and they think it was a part of a very luxurious. A piece of furniture, probably they think either a throne or a couch, something along those lines. And, and the interesting thing for us is there's a couple of different mentions in Scripture of this. So, so there's kind of two different ways that this particular find becomes becomes important. Anyway, as I mentioned, there's these repeated patterns. There are a lot of geometric patterns to them, which is uh, significant in, uh, in in this area because uh, you know there's this command against graven images. So in other places, you might have images of you know gods or, or animals, rulers. that kind of rulers. But this one is kind of more geometric patterns, uh, some natural patterns like the lotus. And these patterns are ones that we've seen in other archaeological finds of things like um, uh, jars and other clay clay materials. So we've seen this in the past, but there is uh, there's uh, some evidence. So I want to look at a couple different ways that this uh, archaeological find can help us to understand some more uh, about the Bible and the ancient world. And, and this will go along with some of the other archaeological talk that we've had before. One thing I didn't know until some of these news stories came out, I never thought of it, it made sense once you, once you heard it. But during this period of time, ivory by weight was actually more valuable than gold. Really? Right. I mean, it's a lighter material, obviously, and and mm-hmm. what they use is smaller when they do these engravings, and then they mm-hmm. they those would be embedded into wooden furniture that would be bigger. Obviously, ivory can't you can't make furniture out of ivory itself because it's too brittle and it would break. But but it would be embedded in wood and and be a a decorative thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But very valuable. Of course, you know, ivory comes from the the tusk, tusk of elephants, elephant. and so so uh, you know the the 
the getting them and you know the the finding these elements elephants the the hunting them and then transporting them back to Judah all that made them a very valuable material and yeah so, this, this kind of reminds me of uh, you, you know it had to be something very special it's kind of like the robe yeah. when we talked about the yeah, piece the of cloth with the purple mm-hmm. the purple yeah, robe yeah um, just like how that came from the sea snail yeah. but again like that this is something that's rare and it's going to be a very special piece yep. that someone's going to use yep. so this and like I said this is brand new in fact tomorrow when we're recording this on September the 12th mm-hmm. uh, you know just to give you a little we, we don't always often do that, but here, yeah, behind the curtain, we're 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 this will be out much later. This will be out in October. We're we're recording at the twelfth, and on the thirteenth of September, so tomorrow is going to be the first time that these ivories have been displayed publicly. So this is brand new mm-hmm. stuff, right? This right. Is just the archaeologists been writing about it and thinking about them. But uh, anyway, there's two ways in which I think they help us to understand and illustrate some of this period of time. So the first is there are some biblical passages that I think this directly relates to. One of them is in First Kings chapter ten. And and I'll go ahead and tell you, First Kings chapter ten is focused on the time of King Solomon's reign. Uh, so let me give you a couple of time periods. Uh, you know, David would have begun reigning around a thousand BC or so, mm-hmm. and uh, he would reign forty years. So we're like to nine sixty, and then Solomon takes the throne. And um, so so what happens here is is chapter ten is really its main purpose is talking about the incredible wealth. Of, of King Solomon's reign and just the incredible um, amount of uh, blessing and an incredible amount of, of, of uh, things that he had there. Mm-hmm. Of course, earlier than this, it talks about him building his palace, and we may go back there and look at a passage in in, in 1 Kings 5 a little bit later. But but I want you to look particularly what passage – I know I wrote this down. Uh, verse 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I was <laughs> just reading through this. Do you want to go ahead and read that for yeah, us? Yeah. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps, and the throne had a round top. On each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests, while 12 lions stood there, and on each end of a step on the six steps. Go ahead and finish that. Okay. The, the like of it was never made in any kingdom. So it's talking about just the incredible opulence. Nobody had ever seen a throne like this. And there's some people who think that the, the thrones may have been like a couch, too. And we're going to see another passage that uses this term couch uh, to talk about it, you know, because it gets, you know, ruling's a grueling job. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you just got to lean back. I mean, I can't imagine sitting upright all the time. I'm the king. Right. I need to be able to recline. Right. So anyway, that that's uh, so. But you see this idea, this ivory, uh, and, and they think it would be. They're not saying it's this particular throne that's being talked mm-hmm. about, but it'd be something like this. It shows that the, these ivory, the, these ivory um, panels would be used for this kind of very um, wealthy, very very opulent. Uh, kind of furniture. And so here's an example of this in Solomon's uh, reign that we find this. Now, there's another place that it's mentioned, actually, which is very interesting. And, and that's in the book of Amos. We find another mention to this idea of ivory couches. So look at Amos chapter six for me. And Amos is a minor prophet, of course. And one of the things that Amos really spends a lot of time attacking is this idea of um, um, um what am I trying to say? Injustice. And, and particularly what he's concerned with is the fact that the wealthy uh, have been taking advantage of, of those who are poor. And so that's his, his kind of his main message, primarily talking to the southern kingdom. But he also here is going to mention the northern kingdom during this period of time. So this is later than Solomon's reign, but it's before that 586 period. So it's, again, between this time that Solomon would have had this, this uh, throne constructed out of ivory and before the Babylonians came in and completely destroyed the 
uh, the nation. This is Amos chapter six, starting in verse one. And I'm going to, I'm going to read this because I'm going to stop a couple places and just, uh, okay. just kind of, you know, show you a few things. But verse one says, woe to you who are complacent in Zion. So Zion, you know, talking about Mount Zion, Zion. Jerusalem, yeah. Yeah. and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. So here we're talking about the divided kingdom, right? Right. Uh, Mount Samaria is a way to talk about the Northern kingdom uh, and the capital city there of Samaria. So Zion and Samaria is what's being talked about here. You notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come, go to Kalna and look at it. Go from there to Great Hamath. And here he's talking about these different other capitals in the ancient world is is what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And he says, then go down to Gath and Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? So he's kind of talking about the way that God has blessed the, the, these places. You put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. So, you know, the idea of putting off the day of disasters, you know, a foreshadowing of this of this Babylonian destruction is going to take place. But there's also a way, even though you continue to rule now and you continue to have the ability to rule, what Amos is criticizing is their own reign. They call he calls it a reign of terror. And here's where we're getting to the, what we're really talking about. You lie on beds, or some translations may say couches here, adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. Uh, of course, that's um, biblical injunction against jazz music. I was there. Say that. Um, <laughs> Okay, I don't think that's what he's not really saying. Un- okay. It, it has been used for that in the past, believe it or not. But but you strum on harps, you improvise on musical instruments. Basically, he's, he's talking about you're living these lives of luxury where you're not really working. You're, you're, yeah, you've got time to sit around and like, oh, let me try this riff on my harp. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. so anyway, you, you drink wine by the bowl, fill, bowl full and use the finest lotions. You do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph, this idea of the divisions of, of the kingdom. Therefore, you'll be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will come to an end. So he goes, he gives him that. If you go back in Amos 3, I'll just I'll just quickly look here too. This is Amos 3. I know I wrote this down. No, oh, Amos. Uh, verse 13. Yeah, he, he, he's, he's got some pretty strong language Debbie here. Debbie trombone but uh, verse 13 says as hear this and testify against the descendants of jacob declares the lord the lord god almighty on that day i will punish israel for her sins i will destroy the altars at bethel so the northern kingdom had set up these alternate places of worship and one of them was at bethel the horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground i will tear down the winter house along with the summer house the houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished declares the lord so it's talking about a time where people were really enjoying their positions and their wealth and just just you know the opulence in which they lived and ivory you know this very valuable material and the, used for decorations on apparently houses but also on furniture is one of the descriptions of this so so again it's kind of interesting that we have these pieces that seem to have been used in this way that have been discovered and this is the first time these kind of been discovered in Jerusalem mm-hmm. in this place where you know Solomon's temple would have been again this is the city of David so the old part this probably is where Solomon's. Um, remember, he built not only the temple, but he also built the uh, the uh, palace that he lived in. So mm-hmm. it's probably this kind of a structure in which we would have found these these ivory furn- this ivory furniture. Yeah, we don't know exactly what it's from, but we no. what we but what we do know is that this was something special. Yeah, very. It have to, it would have to be. And again, fifteen hundred pieces of this. This this would have been a very very valuable 
you know, whatever this adorned, it would have been a very valuable piece. It would have belonged to someone of very, very important prominence. Uh, and again, later, not too much after this time of Solomon, then you have Amos criticizing the rulers who are, who are basically, oh, you're, you're living in luxury while uh, there are people who are being oppressed and people who are being um, mistreated in order to allow you to continue to live this life of luxury. I just think that's... Uh I mean, we'll get into some of the, the yeah. so what of this piece of it, but it's like, again, for me, it's thinking about with Amos is the, I understand that Amos is calling attention to the fact that kingdom is split and so forth yeah. and it was together with Solomon, but we also know that Solomon's reign was not also no, and that's a, a very fruitful for the people either. Yeah. There was yeah. Although, his, his personal wealth was, sure. uh, was, was great. And the temple was magnificent, yeah. but we know short after his death that right. there were some problems. Well, yeah, I wasn't planning on talking about this. So let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit. It, it, Cause I was, I was going to talk about some other things, but since you mentioned that the idea of the division of the kingdom, it, it's, it's pretty interesting. The fact that, that, um, you know, you have Solomon who has this, this, incredible reputation for wisdom. And we see that this is what he asks God for. When God says, you know, what, what is it you'd like me to, to, to give to you? Mm-hmm. He says, well, I'm young and I don't know how to rule, so so give me wisdom. Mm-hmm. And God says, that, that's a great request. And because of that, then I'm going to allow you to prosper and you're going to receive all this great wealth. But we do see, and here's the thing that a lot of people miss in this whole story, is that in the later part, in fact, we'll, we'll look at this maybe in just a minute, but the later part of Solomon's reign, he ends up being led astray from, from the worship of the true God. Mm-hmm. Uh, while David, can t- even just David, despite his failures, and don't, don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't let me for, forget that. You know, we'll David always, had his problems. Yeah, he had his problems and, and very serious issues. Mm-hmm. You know, murder and, and adultery, pretty, pretty big deals. <laughs> and, and, and so there's that part of it. But then he's also called a man after God's own heart. And here's Solomon, on the other hand, who allows his – and, of course, you know, the famous thing about Solomon is he had all these marriages, <laughs> yep. many of which were probably diplomatic. Mm-hmm. But these foreign women, um, foreign wives, allowed – well, I should say allowed. Solomon ended up um, worshiping, worshiping the, right. the false gods of the people of these other nations. The responsibility lies totally with him. So, so here's where I would say, you know, we have to, we have to measure that because a lot of times, all we, you know, in Sunday school, we get the, oh, what a wise guy, you know, Solomon. We get all that part of it, and and he was, you know, God blessed mm-hmm. him in that way. But at the end of his life, his heart turned against the Lord God, and it, in very in very serious ways, the accumulation of wealth, I think, is is yeah. part of part of what. He's well, it, it's always interesting, and you and I have talked about Solomon a little bit, yeah. you know, just at the end of his life, but kind of going even with the gift, you know, I think this is kind of for us as as Christians is even with gifts that we've been given by God that we can turn away from using those gifts. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's really interesting is he, he gets wisdom, you know, and, and I think, you know, is it just diplomatic wisdom? Can he not see himself in that whole story as well? Like, is it diplomatic wisdom as a King, but can't see like his own, where his own heart discern where his own heart is taking him as well. Well, and and it's I think it's you're well to say that there's a way in which we need to constantly guard against this ourselves, I think, because you know, even good things if we I've said this before, even good things if we place them before God become idols, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, e- even good things in our lives that God has blessed us with, if we forget, you know, it's one thing for us to be grateful and, and thank God for that. It's another thing for us to begin to think, well, this is something that I've accumulated on my own and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I deserve this and and 
this kind of thing. And so, so anyway, let me let me go back to First Kings chapter ten. And, and so I said there was two things. One is, you know, it's always fun when we find these archaeological things that seem to fit very specifically into a Bible verse. But often we say that's not really what archaeology's primary point is, right? Mm-hmm. On this podcast, we've said various times that one of the things that archaeology does for us is it gives us a picture of the culture and the trade and the commerce and the political kind of uh, things that are going on. And so if you look about 1 Kings 10, as I mentioned, the thing that really is being gotten at here is Solomon's reign. Begins with this idea of the Queen of Sheba, who you've heard of before, Mm -hmm. who comes and she says, you know, I've heard this great reputation, but I had to see this for myself. And it talks about all the things that she saw and the gifts that she brought to King Solomon. And then she says, you know, I couldn't have believed it until I saw it with my own eyes, but now I see that all this is true, that, you know, you have all this incredible wealth. Uh, she gives him a gift here. We see in the middle of this in verse 10. I want you to look at verse 22, though, and we'll come back to talk about this guy some more. Chapter 10, verse 22, it says this, and this is an important part of this, this whole thing um, in, in terms of the commerce and the culture. It says, the king had a fleet of trading ships at sea along with the ships of Hiram. Uh, once every three years, it returned carrying gold, silver, and ivory and apes and baboons. So ivories, we mentioned, come from elephants, but of course, there's not a lot of elephants in in uh, Israel, right? In, in I have yet to see one there. Well, maybe at a zoo or something. But <laughs> but we usually associate elephants down with with the area of of in Africa, right? Yeah. And and so what we find during this period of time, King Hiram was the king of Tyre. And we've talked about the city of Tyre before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, there's another place, another kingdom uh, that that has a lot of pride. Uh, and, and we could call this, this the nation. We could call Phoenicia because Tyre is really a city uh, that was uh, an incredible port city. It was kind of on an island, a little bit off of the coast. Um, and, and Tyre, because it was an island, that allowed all these ships from the Mediterranean to come and to dock there. It was it was an incredible place um, for for um, for sailors, a credible kingdom for sailors. And so Hiram and his navy or his his ships were known um, uh, to be incredible trading partners. Israel was not so much um, a maritime nation. They were not known for their sailing ships. So Solomon makes this uh, uh, alliance. And, and even David and King Hiram had gotten along. Uh, but when King Hiram, this is back in First Kings chapter 5, when King Hiram hears about David's death, he, he sends a message to Solomon. And Solomon sends him back a message saying, well, we're going to build this temple. I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. We're going to build this temple so you know we could use your help. And basically Hiram promises to bring all of these cedar Cedars. trees from Lebanon and all these different places. By the way, Lebanon is what we call this area of Phoenicia today. Uh, it's mm-hmm. the Lebanese coast, basically Lebanon, uh, just to the north of uh, of uh, today Israel, Syria, and then Lebanon. Um, and and so he promises all of these incredible trees and everything that, that become the foundation then for the building of Solomon's temple uh, and, and also his palace. And so so this alliance with King Hiram is a big deal. But then you see it, it continues, and and King Hiram's, Hiram's ships are the ones that end up going down even into the Gulf 
um, the Gulf of Aqaba down into the Red Sea and along the coast of Africa, which allows them to have access to the trading ports where you would have things like ivory. And he mentioned the gold and silver apes and baboons, right? Mm -hmm. So these are some of the exotic things, if you will, that he brings. And there are other descriptions that we find throughout this entire section of scripture talking about just the exotic things that Solomon had during during his reign. Um, any thoughts on that or qu- comments or questions? Um, I mean, you don't have to. Let me. King, let, I mean, okay, yeah. <laughs> let me go going. back. I'm going to go back to the to a little bit earlier in First Kings chapter ten, starting in verse fourteen. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. Now, this is something like two, uh, uh, 25 tons of gold. And, and you, if you heard hmm. the phrase. King, <laughs> Not too shabby. Mm-hmm. Huh? He's got a good, yeah. <laughs> so you've probably heard the phrase King Solomon's Mines. And, yeah. and the idea is that there's some place, probably down on the continent of Africa, where this gold is coming from. Uh, and, and it's a part of the description of, again, um, Solomon's power. But what, what you see in terms of commerce is this trade that's going on. It's Hiram. It's his, it's his allegiance or his alliance with this king of Phoenicia, king of Tyre, mm-hmm. that allows him to go down. I was going to mention earlier, Tyre is in, in the book of Isaiah particularly. We'll look at this another day. That'll be kind of fun. But um, I think we looked at this, this idea of uh, – did we look at Lucifer? No. no. Oh, never mind. We'll look at this another day. But uh, the king of Tyre – is uh, uh, he 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 becomes a, a symbol of pride as well because Tyre began to see themselves as an undefeatable, um, uh, basically empire. They had this power, these allegiances and, and, and alliances and so forth. I keep saying allegiance. So anyway, this is not including the revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the territories. Verse sixteen: King Solomon made two hundred large shields of hammered gold, probably just ornamental because yeah. gold soft. Well, soft and it's heavy, yeah. it's not not practical. So probably for ornamentation, the king put them on the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Verse 18, the king made a great throne. We read that earlier. It uh, talks about the size of that. Verse 21, all King Solomon's goblets were gold and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. So again, you see how mm-hmm. ways of describing this, uh, this incredible wealth. It uh, talks about, again, how... Hiram, as we've, we've already read. Verse 23, King Solomon's greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, and spices, and horses and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. Now, the interesting thing, if you go back in the book of Deuteronomy at the end of it, one of the things that Moses says to the people is when you enter into the land and there comes a time where you place a king over you, do not allow them to accumulate large amounts of chariots and horses. And it's almost like we find that during Solomon's reign, everything that was commanded against for the king is what happens. Do not allow them to accumulate large amounts of gold and these kind of things. And yet Solomon, like you said, it it turned from a blessing from God into something that God had given him into something that became a focus itself, I think. The the wives that he married again were from these foreign kings, and when we say kings here, we're not necessarily saying the kings of countries, but kings of various cities, mm-hmm. and all of these um, 
uh, diplomatic relationships ended up being what, again, pulled his heart away from God to the point that uh, we get into the next chapter. If you look at uh, chapter 11, Mm -hmm. uh, verse 1, King Solomon, however loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love, 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, and the wives, his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Then it talks about some of these Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Moloch. Uh, we think that part of um, some of these gods' worship included child sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says that Solomon set up a high place. This is down in uh, verse 7 on a hill east of Jerusalem. Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And so he did this, and he offered all of this sacrifice at the end of his life. So, I don't get it. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to understand, isn't it? I mean, he he had direct. Uh, he he met with God uh, on on more than one occasion directly, and and re, you know received these words from God. Um, had advisors and and prophets around him to to help him, you know, understand what he was supposed to do, and yet he allowed it to uh, to to uh, pull him away. I, you know, I think. Well, go ahead. What were we going to say about it? I'm just like, I'm <laughs> here to loss. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, every time I read this story, right. I don't yeah. get it. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the power, here's the thing. When you have that kind of wealth and that kind of power, who's going to tell you anything other? You know, part of what, um, and I'm not trying to say, oh, I've got all the answers here, but I will say this, that there is a discipline Right for us having to um, be answerable, if you will, to our community around us. Right, that, mm-hmm. that's part of the way that we are shaped and formed. I think God uses God shapes us through His Holy Spirit. Right, I believe I believe it. You know, the 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 phrase we would use is it's. Um, um, <laughs> My mind's not working very good. Sanctification is the word I was looking for. The Holy Spirit shapes us, but that takes place in a variety of forms, right? It's sometimes Mm -hmm. through our experiences. It's through sometimes painful, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, um, know, those God loves. He disciplines uh, as a child. Uh, You know, as a father loves a child and disciplines him. So we we get that kind of experience. But we also have sanctification that takes place from our relationships. Um, This part of, not to get on a soapbox for a minute, but it's part of why it's so important for us um, to be a part of a church community. It's not just a matter of being a Christian on our own, but we need a church community. And part of what that is, is to help, you know, point us in the right direction. And especially the importance of having deep relationships within the faith, I think is um, so that we have people who can speak into our life when they see us you know, uh, going astray. And so that's, that's part of what I think is going on here. Very important part of it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's hard to understand. But uh, what I was going to say earlier, you talked about then the division of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So during Solomon's reign, he also began to, to enlist 
various people from the, from the whole country in order to come and to serve in the capital. And this uh, is what God warned them about yeah. when he said, if you want a king, just know what's yeah, going to happen yeah. with a king. Any centralized government, <laughs> it's true of our own, any centralized government requires people, and often it's young people, right, to, to, to work in order to, to have that central government function. You know, even in our, in our system in the United States, we have people who go to Washington, D.C., as young people and serve as interns and pages. And, you know, we have mm-hmm. all these. That, that's part of what's necessary. And he enlisted these, these various people from all over. And also, here's the other thing. That to have a centralized government, you got to have taxes, right? Right. And, and so he levied taxes. And this began, uh, and I think especially you look at, and again, this isn't too different from today, right? These people were looking at probably Solomon's opulence and his wealth. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and you're taxing us, you know, to pay all for right. all this stuff. You're getting 25 tons of gold <laughs> a year. You don't, you don't need my, uh, my, uh, 1040 to come in, right? Bezos of- <laughs> so, well, it, it was, it was, and, and I think you get to a point, here's where I was going with this. You get to a point where you think you're above it, right? You're above the, the law. You're above the you pettiness know. of the, yeah. of the plebes. I, I don't know. I've never been in that position. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm real. I'm totally there. But but I think that's part of it. And and here's what happens is when there's someone who steps up, it's a guy by the name of Jeroboam, he steps up in order to speak against what policies the king is establishing. And I think initially he's doing it for, for good purpose. Uh, he ends up fleeing for his life, fleeing from Solomon down into Egypt. Mm-hmm. And it's when Solomon dies and Solomon's son Rehoboam comes uh, and takes the throne. Jeroboam comes back and basically says to Rehoboam, you have a choice now. You can either follow in your father's ways or you can uh, turn back. And, of course, as we've said before, this ends up in the division of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Judah and Benjamin, uh, those two tribes become the southern kingdom. uh, The the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes or eight tribes, however we count it, uh, split off from Judah. Uh, and that's the beginnings of of Israel as the northern kingdom and Judah as this separate, uh, this separate nation. But yeah, yeah you know what I, what I kind of like with this is that you know they found going back to our original thing where you're talking about the, yeah. this ivory is yeah it's ivory with scorch marks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's I, you know, I don't want to, I don't yeah. want to stretch this metaphor, but it's kind of like you know, the thing that we've placed our value in, yeah. and this, you know, is ends up in a pile, burned right. in pieces, buried point. underneath a parking lot. That's <laughs> and there, and there, my friends, is your lesson for the day. <laughs> <laughs> what? You, well, I mean, that was, I mean, that right. was the thing. It was like this is a sign of my power. Anything, you know, as Paul say, anything that we might have considered to our advantage in the past is rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Right. Right. So. And, and this is, I mean, we value it now for what it teaches yeah. us, but it was burned down and smashed up, and yep. throw some sand on it, and out we go. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of puts it in perspective. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. It puts it in perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, if this is, I mean, this obviously I would, I would think has to have something to do from Solomon. You know, what right. I mean? like he's brought in this brought Solomon this or, or those someone you know, else very high up immediate successors. I mean, it's yeah. not too long until you know. Yeah, that that this is, um, you know, Rehoboam or yeah. who, you know, yeah. like all of the ones that did not follow the Lord that come after that, but just the 
you know, the the opulence and it can all be taken away. Like Lord, yeah. this is this is the Lord's and yeah. it is, has been a gift from yeah. and if you squandered it. Yeah, and that's you know the message of Amos and of course other prophets as well. Isaiah as we've talked about recently, you know, the he this is the message that God gives is you know, because you've turned your hearts have turned away from me, this is this is the result. Um but I, I do think it's interesting archaeologically, again, this is like I said, often we want these like Let's uh-huh, find, like, yeah, well, let's find this thing that's in this verse. But you know, even if again, even if it's not that exact thing, it's it's very close to this this description mm-hmm. we have, and it helps just kind of gives us that much more illustration of what would it have looked like to have a throne um, covered with ivory and, as I mentioned, over overlaid with gold, uh, and just the beauty of that. And but but also again, just just that compared to how other people were living in that period of time. And that's the thing, kind of thing that made Amos mad. You know, mm-hmm. he saw these people in their houses, their summer houses and enjoying their, their, their time on their, on their incredibly overlaid beds. And, and uh, you know, here, here are other people who are, who are suffering. Jeroboam same the same. Now, Jeroboam, I don't want to give him too much credit because Jeroboam didn't, was not a well, bright shining star. If of, you read, if you read the book of first and second Kings, he becomes the, the type or the example the archetype of evil of, of the evil king he could, because what he does is he sets up alternate places of worship i mentioned bethel earlier and then up north in an area called dan he set up these these alternate places of worship and said to people don't go down to the temple in jerusalem instead worship god in this place and what he set up are these are these golden calves, <laughs> right? These yeah. graven images and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. It's like, oh, I don't think so. I just, oh my gosh, I don't <laughs> get it. I don't get, I, you know, I would like to think that I'm above it. You know what mm. I mean? Like, like I wouldn't fall for the same tricks or right. whatever but it's just and yet we do don't we i mean whatever yeah. whatever the the temptations that we face there are times that we fail uh you know the the it, it's a different kind of thing maybe but we i've said before no we don't bow our, we, we typically don't have idols in our house that we bow our knee to and yet there are things that we tend to prioritize over our time with god or our relationship with god right so mm-hmm. so that's what i think we need to be careful of Yep. Well, this is all rainbows and puppy dogs today. <laughs> well, I tried. I tried to make it something happy. Uh, anyway, it's interesting though. I said I said this out of Egypt stuff, and that's what we're going to talk about next time. We're going to talk yes. about the Exodus, and I think there'll be some interesting historical and cultural things that we'll we'll learn about the Exodus as well. Yes. So, and uh, well, I'll, again, I'll put a link to some of the story. Yeah. It should be out in other publications by the yeah, time. Yeah. By this the is time, out. I'd say it'll get even more press now. But you know, a lot of the you know it's already starting to get press. Haaretz, which is the the newspaper in Israel, one of the main newspapers in Israel, has published this already, and uh, I think the the what you have behind me is Biblical Archaeology Review, and mm-hmm. I think well, let's link to that. That's yeah. a good story, and they they do a good job with kind of showing the connect connections with uh, some other things. Really, it's, you know, again, I love to stay on top of this stuff from from archaeology, and as I've said before, it's 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 not an old thing that everything's been discovered. Right. Stuff's still being discovered today, and and here's here's a example right in Jerusalem. Yes. Who knows? Someone might get their driveway repaved and like, <laughs> there's something down there. Well, you know, yeah. It's it, it, it's always interesting when there's those kind of things that happen. Yeah, I, I'll give you two examples. Uh, I've given the one example before. Um, the the Givat HaMivtar man we've talked about, the guy who has, the uh, Yohanan, who has the nail through his ankle, mm-hmm. that was as a result of reconstruction taking place after the Six Days War. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, here was this battle that took place. Buildings got destroyed, and they're coming in, clearing up the rubble. It's like, oh, wait, there's a series of caves down here, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. And, and it was a it was a series of tombs. There, I can't remember now, 37 bodies or 40-some bodies that were found in that in that tomb complex. Gave us a lot of insight. And, and in fact, again, the first uh, crucified, we have, now have two crucified victims that we found, but the, the first example of a crucified buried body that we had found. Here's the other one I always think is interesting is the guy was... Um, working on the basement of his house and broke into this chamber in in Jerusalem and found um, uh, some ancient um, dwelling places there. And so, you know, like you said, it's, it's that kind of, those kind of accidents um, that happen sometimes that take us, especially in these places where people have been living for hundreds and thousands of years, just layer upon layer upon layer of civilization, one over top of the other. Just, just pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, and I, I think it's just uh, it's always a good reminder with the archaeology piece to always go like, these are real people yeah. with real places yep. with real that were lived in space right. and time. And because I think it's so hard for us sometimes yeah. to kind of go like, oh, that's a great story. But kind of go, well, it's a story about real. Yeah. And that's what that's what I love about the archaeology, I think, is it kind of brings it into into time and space. Like you said, it's it's the you know, these are real people and these yeah. are real stories. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Brian, thanks so much. Yeah, it was fun, Ryan. Yeah. We'll talk about the Exodus next week. Yeah. I'll see you then. Right, see you. Bye. Bye.